0: Chapter 2. The Carpet Bag I stuffed a shirt or two into my old carpet bag, tucked it under my arm, and started for Cape Horn in the Pacific. Quitting the good old city of Manhattan, I duly arrived in New Bedford. It was a Saturday night in December. Much was I disappointed upon learning that the little packet for Nantucket had already sailed, and that no way of reaching the place would offer till the following Monday. As most young candidates for pains and penalties of whaling stop at this New Bedford, thence to embark on their voyage, it may as well be related that I, for one, had no idea of so doing, for my mind was made up to sail in no other than a an Nantucket craft, because there was a fine, boisterous something about everything connected with that famous old island, which amazingly pleased me. Besides, though, New Bedford has of late been gradually monopolizing the business of whaling, And though in this matter poor old Nantucket is now much behind her, yet Nantucket was her great original, the Tyre of Carthage, the place where the first dead American whale was stranded. Where else but from Nantucket did those aboriginal whalemen, the Red Men, first sally out in canoes to give chase to the Leviathan? And where, from but Nantucket too, did that first adventurous little sloop put forth partly laden with imported cobblestones, so goes the story, to throw at the whale in order to discover when they were nigh enough to risk a harpoon from the bowsprit. Now having a night, a day, and still another night following before me in New Bedford, ere I could embark from my destined port, it became a matter of concernment where I was to eat and sleep, meanwhile. It was a very dubious-looking, nay, a very dark and dismal night, bitingly cold and cheerless, "'I knew no one in the place. "'With anxious grapnel, I had sounded my pocket "'and only brought up a few pieces of silver. "'So wherever you go, Ishmael,' said I to myself, "'I stood in the middle of a dreary street, "'shouldering my bag and comparing the gloom "'towards the north with the darkness towards the south. "'Wherever in your wisdom you may conclude "'to lodge for the night, my dear Ishmael, "'be sure to inquire the price, and don't be too particular.' With halting steps, I paced the streets, and passed the sign of the crossed harpoon, but it looked too expensive and jolly there. Further on, from the bright red windows of the swordfish inn, there came such fervent rays that it seemed to have melted the packed snow and ice from before the house, for everywhere else the congealed frost lay ten inches thick in a hard, asphaltic pavement. Rather weary for me when I struck my foot against the flinty projections— because from hard, remorseless service the soles of my boots were in the most miserable plight. Too expensive and jolly again, thought I, pausing one moment to watch the broad glare on the street and hear the sound of tinkling glasses within. But go on, Ishmael, said I at last. Don't you hear? Get away from before the door. Your patched boots are stomping the way. So on I went. I now by instinct followed the streets that took me waterward for there, doubtless, were the cheapest, if not the cheeriest, inns. Such dreary streets, blocks of blackness, not houses on either hand, and here and there a candle, like a candle moving about a tomb. At this hour of the night, and the last day of the week, that quarter of the town proved all but deserted, but presently I came to a smoky light proceeding from a low, wide building, the door of which stood invitingly open. It had a careless look, as if it were meant for the uses of public so entering the first thing i did was to stumble over an ash box in the porch ha thought i ha as as the flying particles almost choked me are these ashes from the destroyed city gomorrah but the crossed harpoons and the swordfish this then must needs be the sign of the trap however i picked myself up and hearing a loud voice within pushed on and opened a second interior door it seemed the great black parliament sitting in Tophet, a hundred black faces turned around in their rows to peer and beyond. A black angel of doom was beating a book in a pulpit. It was a negro church, and the preacher's text was about the blackness of darkness and the weeping and wailing and teeth gnashing there. Ha! Ishmael, I muttered, backing out, wretched entertainment at the sign of the trap. Moving on, I at last came to a dim sort of light, not far from the docks, and heard a forlorn creaking in the air, and looking up, saw a swinging sign over the door with a white painting upon it, faintly representing a tall, straight jet of misty spray, these words underneath, The Spouter Inn, Peter Coffin. Coffin? Spouter? Rather ominous in that particular connection, thought I. But it is a common name in Nantucket, they say, and I suppose this Peter here is an immigrant from there. As the light looked so dim, and the place for time looked quiet enough, and the dilapidated little wooden house itself looked as if it might have been carted here from the ruins of some burnt district and As the swinging sign had a poverty stricken sort of creak to it, I thought here was the very spot for cheap lodgings and the best of pea coffee. It was a queer sort of place, a gable ended old house, one side palsied as it were, and leaning over sadly. It stood in a sharp, bleak corner, where that tempestuous wind Euroclodon kept a worse howling than ever it did about poor Paul's tossed craft. Euroclodon, nevertheless, is a mighty pleasant zephyr, if any one indoors, with his feet on the hob quietly toasting in his bed. In judging that tempestuous wind called Euroclodon, says an old writer of whose work I possess the only copy extant, it maketh a marvelous distance— "'whether thou lookest out from the glass window where the frost is all on the outside, "'or whether thou observe it from the sashless window where the frost is on both sides, "'and of which the white death is the only glazer. "'True enough,' thought I, as this passage occurred to my mind, "'old black letter thou reasonest well. "'Yes, these eyes are windows, and this body of mine is the house.' What a pity they didn't stop up the chinks and crannies, though, and thrust a little lint here and there. But it's too late to make any improvement now. The universe is finished. The cope stone is on, and the chips were carted off millions of years ago. Poor Lazarus there, chatting his teeth against the curb stone for his pillow and shaking off his tatters with his shiverings. He might plug up both ears with rags and put a corncob in his mouth, and yet that would not keep out the tempestuous Eurocladon. Eurocladon says, "Old D. West, in his red silken wrapper, he had a redder one afterwards." Pooh, pooh! What a fine frosty night! How Orion glitters! What northern lights! Let them talk of their Oriental summer climes of everlasting conservatories. Give me the privilege of making my own summer with my own coals. But what thinks Lazarus? Can he warm his blue hand by holding them to the grand northern lights? Would not Lazarus rather be in Sumatra than here? Would he not far rather lie down lengthwise along the line of the equator? Yea, ye gods, go down to the fiery pit itself in order to keep out the frost. Now, that Lazarus should lie stranded there on the curbstone before the door of Dewes. This is more wonderful than that of an iceberg should be more to that of Maluccas. Yet Dewis himself, he too lives like a czar in the ice palace made of frozen sighs, and being a president of the temperance society, he only drinks the tepid tears of orphans. But no more of this blubbering now. We are going a and there is plenty of that yet to come. Let us scrape the ice from our frosted feet and see what sort of place this spouter may be.